0: C-I-N-T-H-I-A H-I-E-T-T dot com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. And now, here's Cynthia. Thank you for joining me
1: today. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And I keep forgetting, I'm supposed to remind you all, please visit me on Facebook at Cynthia Hyatt Inc. and my website is CynthiaHyatt.com. So again, thank you for joining me today. And we are finishing up this series on the dilemma of change. And the last show that we did talked about the three different types of change. And we reminded ourselves that change is inevitable, that nothing is permanent except change. And so we have three types of change. And the first one is the one that's predictable and unavoidable, which is like the seasons. And I was talking last time about how I lament every time summer comes and I want to resist it, but it is inevitable and unavoidable. The second change is the change that I um, initiate myself. And so that may be that I go and buy a house or I want to get married and want to have children. And so that, that has a lot more choice in that change. And the third one is the change that is uh, completely unpredictable and thrust upon me. And that's when we talked about the, the loss of, of a loved one. Uh, tragically, or we had 9-11. None of us would have anticipated or predicted, been able to predict that. And so as we deal with change, what we know is that loss is incurred. Every, every gain has, has a loss, and every loss has a gain. And so even if the change is positive, there are still going to be losses that come with that change. And if I don't effectively integrate the loss of the change then I'm going to become a weaker, more fragile person. And so we talked about defense mechanisms and what happens if I'm using defense mechanisms to deal with loss and to deal with that change and the stress that comes with that. And so what we're going to start today with is we're going to talk about that, what is this grief and loss process that I'm talking about? Because this is the main uh, process that we go through when we are integrating any type of a loss and when we are dealing with the stress of that loss. So this was originally discovered by a woman, and her name is um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She's a famous psychiatrist. And the process has five different stages. And it starts with shock, denial, bargaining, anger, mourning, and sadness. And that leads us to acceptance and forgiveness. And so as I go through that process, depending on the size of the loss, will depend on how long that process takes. And so if, I, um, um, if the loss that I incurred was maybe I lost my handbag, that, that's, that's a pretty big, that's a significant loss. But I'm going to move through the grief and loss process sooner than I would if I'm going through a divorce or if I, lose the, if I incur the loss of a loved one. And so what we want to look at is this first initial reaction to a loss is that of shock. And this is where the person just can't even take in it at all. They, they usually say, what? What? No. What? And then many times we go into denial very quickly after we're in shock. Now, depending on the, the level of loss, um, shock, many times somebody might even faint when, when they're presented with it. It's just system overload. They can't take in the loss. And then we go into denial. And denial can last for a very long time. Uh, people can be in denial the rest of their life, actually, over a loss. And so the denial is going to look like, no, that can't be. That's impossible. That couldn't have happened. If I find out that, that somebody has been unfaithful, I can say, no, it's not possible. That's not them. I know that's not them. There's no way. There's no way that could have happened. And so denial is the refusal to take in that loss. It still is trying to keep that loss outside of me so that I don't have to feel the pain. The third one is bargaining. And that is, in for most Americans, our favorite one. And bargaining is trying to look at all the coulda, woulda, shoulda, if only then. So if I lost uh, my handbag or that was stolen, I have to incur that loss. I might go be in shock and then I'm in complete denial. It's like, no, that's not possible. It's got to be here. It's got to be in the car. It's got to be in the house. It's got to be at the restaurant. And then when I finally come to terms with the fact that really I'm not going to get that back, I'm not getting my wallet back, my phone, whatever that is, Then I go into bargaining and bargaining is trying to figure out, well, you know, I could have done this. If I should, I should have done this. I should have gotten carbonite, right? I should have um, double checked it. Um, I I could have, you know, carried it in there with me or I could have given it to you. Or I, you know, it's all this could have, should have, would have. If I would have done this, if I would have gone back and looked for it immediately, maybe they still would have had it there. You know, if only then. So I could have done this and then it would have been like this. And we go through around and around and around and around bargaining as a way to not have to deal with that loss. We We see bargaining with the loss of a relationship all the time. They are rehashing and rehashing and rehashing how that relationship ended because they don't really want to deal with the pain that it really is ended. And so we go through all this bargaining and we bargain with God all the time, you know, What if I change? Well, I'll do this, and if I do this, then can you please bring that person back? If I do that, can you please um, make this happen or give me that job or or, uh, fix the reversal of those finances? And so after we get done with bargaining, because bargaining is kind of tiresome, we usually get angry, very, very angry. This is unacceptable. This should not have happened. Nobody asked my permission. This isn't right. Nobody should have to go through this. And we get very, very, very angry about that loss and so you might see this with somebody that that lost a loved one they may get angry at the doctor and they may say go back into bargaining well if they would have done this if they could have done this and they should have known this and you know and we, we want to change what we already know is the inevitable and that is the loss that we do not want to feel once we go through anger then we're we because anger is also very exhausting we get into sadness and mourning and this is one of the hardest ones to deal with because it is incapacitating in many ways. This is when we have people that are just falling asleep all the time. And, and when I have people that are going through the grief and loss process, and they say, I just can't stay awake. And I'll say to them, well, that's grieving because grieving is, is hard work and, and it is difficult to go through. And so sometimes what happens is we might recycle through it and depending on the size of the loss, we may have to do this a couple of times. And we don't always do it in that exact order. Sometimes people go back into denial and this is they've had the loss of a loved one and they're sure that they're walking down the street and they're sure they're sure they just saw that person. Maybe they're not dead. I just saw that person and, and, and truthfully, we were at the funeral, we know that the person has passed. And so this is what our minds are doing, trying to help our heart not feel all this pain. And so the process that we want to do is we want to get all the way through that to the place of acceptance so that that loss isn't bigger than me. And so many times I tell clients, I say, you know, right now that loss is so huge, you can't even take it all in. And so as you go through the grief and loss process, finally you are bigger than the loss versus the loss being bigger than you. And so I have this wonderful poem that I found in Streams of the Desert, which is one of my favorite devotionals, when it comes to the issue of sadness. And, 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 I don't even know who the writer is. I would love to know if this was written in the 1920s. So what this writer said was, she said, I walked a mile with pleasure, and she chattered all the way. She left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she. But oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. And so we know that if we're willing to feel the sorrow of whatever the loss is that we've incurred. We become a wiser person, a more virtuous person. If we're just seeking pleasure, which we talked earlier in the last show, that uh, humans by nature resist pain and gravitate toward pleasure. If we just pursue pleasure, we become a very shallow person. We become a, a very fragile person, and a very weak person. And so we want to work through this whole entire grief and loss process. And I'm going to read to you the serenity prayer in its entirety, because many times you, most people have not heard it and it is extremely, um, it's filled with wisdom. So it says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace. Taking as he did the world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. That I will be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. And I think that sums up what God is saying when He is, he's wanting us to integrate loss appropriately because he, he can't protect us from loss. This is a very difficult place down here. We, this is a, a world that is filled with sin and death. And with that always comes loss. But in the midst of that, beautiful things can come from it. So when we look at what are some of the blocks to grieving, why would somebody have a hard time going through this grief and loss process? Well, they may not recognize that the change has taken place. Maybe an elderly parent doesn't recognize that they can't drive anymore. Maybe the person doesn't want to accept that the loss has occurred. So refusing to believe that you really are broken up, that you and this person did break up. And so if I if I get into denial and I use that defense mechanism, I resist the grief and loss process, then it's going to block that whole entire process that I need to go through. So there may be feelings that are of anger and rejection that complicate the underlying grief. Maybe I don't, I, there's a block to the grief and loss process because there, there's a social sti- stigma associated with it. Maybe the person uh, committed suicide and there's a great sense of shame that a family feels, even though they, we know that we don't want them to feel that way. There may be, it may be very difficult to actually grieve it because nobody wants to admit that it happened. And so maybe the person ha- has had a many previous losses that have not been resolved. It makes it very difficult to integrate the new loss They may not want to upset or add grief to other people. They may be overly dependent on the person or the place of the thing that they had to lose. And one of the things that happens is maybe hanging on to the grief means I'm hanging on to the only piece of that thing that I didn't want to lose. So if I stop grieving the person that I lost, I have nothing left. It also can be that men maybe sometimes have a more difficult time grieving. It's easier for them to be angry and to bargain than it is for them to be sad. So in this next segment, we're going to come up on a break here, and we're going to talk about the book of Job and how his friends helped him with grief and loss. And there is much that we can learn from the book of Job as to how to do grief and loss. And the most important part that we want to remember is that we are doing pain for gain, not pain in vain. So thank you for joining me on this segment, and I look forward to talking to you again very quickly. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Hello, this is Cynthia Hyatt with conversations with Cynthia thanks for coming back and thanks for joining us if you just uh, tuned in so we're talking about the issue of change and how to integrate loss and the stress that comes with change in a healthy way to make us more substantive and stronger people so we were just talking about the blocks of grieving as we went through the grief and loss process and what we know about the grief and loss process is that it is a process and so it is important that we go through that process in its entirety. Because what we're wanting to do is get to the place of acceptance. So that whatever it is that loss was, whatever that change is, that I am bigger than it, than it. Because many times when we are dealing with a very substantive loss or a huge change, it feels bigger than we are. And as we integrate it, we learn how to take that in and it then becomes smaller than us. And what we want is... for for, for uh, us to be bigger than the loss that we have incurred. So we w- we're talking about looking at the book of Job, because we know that Job had tremendous loss in his life. And firstly, w- we must remember that God did not comfort us to make us comfortable. He really comforted us so that we may comfort others. And so one of the most beautiful things about going through the grief and loss process and being a person that has endured pain, if you've done it well, you are the safest person on the planet that's for sure that's what Jesus is, and you also are someone that is able to be truly present with somebody in their pain and you don't have to hurry and fix it or mitigate it or minimize it for them, but you can really be with them in their in their in their pain and in their discomfort so one of the things we learn from job's story is that it's very important that he have he we have a relationship with God ourself, and one of the things that god got job through that whole entire process was that he had a very very good very authentic relationship with God he was very honest with God and so the most important thing I can offer myself and another is knowing the source of all comfort and safety and this is God and so when I press into God I can offer long suffering grace and mercy to others if I'm relying only on my own resources I will, run, I will run out of grace and mercy. If I'm doing it all on my own, then I, then I will run out. And this is what we see happen with Job's friends. Now, sorrow is one of God's specialties, and we need his guidance and the Holy Spirit direction when helping ourselves and others through the process of suffering. When we're dealing with another person's suffering, we need to realize that we don't fully understand our friend's problems. Many times we want to intellectualize our friend's problems because we want, we want the pain to go away. Uh, it, when we care about people, we don't want them in pain. That, that's a good thing. The problem is we need to respect their pain and know that their pain has to do its work in order for them to become who God has called them to be. So when we look in, in the second chapter of, of Job, I want, you to, I want you to see this is interesting. So this is Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, and it says, Three of Job's friends heard all about the trouble that had befallen him, and each traveled from his own country so they all came from four different places. And they went together to Job to keep him comfort company and to comfort him. And when they first caught sight of him, they couldn't believe what they saw. They hardly recognized him. They cried out in lament, ripped their robes, and dumped dirt on their heads as a sign of their grief. They sat with him on the ground. Seven days and nights they sat without saying a word. They could see how rotten he felt, how deeply he was suffering. Now, what we see is they only did it for seven days. So when humans don't understand, they generally become judgmental and controlling. And if they don't have answers, they start filling in the blanks themselves. They begin problem solving because they feel helpless and the pain this person is feeling is now affecting them. And so your pain is now affecting my peace. So I want to hurry and fix it and I want to mitigate it and I want it to stop. And so many times you'll see others' defense mechanisms, come into play over your pain. They may get resistant and avoidant or manipulative or aggressive with you because you're in pain. So the trial in another person's life is not only teaching and molding and shaping them, but it's also showing me the other side of suffering. And this is God's side. So he hears our cries and he stays with us. He works with our own pain and our own free will, but he does not control us. And he doesn't leave us in the midst of our pain. But he also does not steal pain he knows that pain needs to do its work and so he allows for the mystery of suffering to do its work he doesn't get mad judge or abandon us in the process no matter how ugly our process may look uh, pain, pain is a very difficult thing and, and and it is not done in a very pretty fashion when people are really feeling it so there are two sides of healthy development in relationship first one is dealing with my process of the trial the hardship the suffering and the subsequent uh, success of it. The second one is dealing with another's success or hardship or suffering or pain. So both of these, God is very efficient, so he's working both sides all the time. So which side are you on today, or maybe both? So with who and how are you dealing with becoming more Christ-like? Are you using defense mechanisms, are you being codependent, or are you being Christ-like? So we can't prevent suffering, but we can ease pain. And shared suffering can be dignifying and life-changing. Think compassion for Job's wife as well. We we don't want her to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but she did. That's what she said in the previous verses. So the mystery and the travesty of suffering and pain is that it causes us to be more human if we let it. It enables us to be more noble and valiant. This is the type that God originally designed us to be. So don't steal the gift of pain from yourself or another. But we want to learn to practice comforting and being present and not doing our own defense mechanisms. So there was one pervasive and overreaching loss that comes with and compounds the three types of changes that we previously discussed. And this is the loss of a dream or a vision. The loss of a dream must be dealt with appropriately very seriously, or one can lose their faith. So maybe you know that feeling. It's the feeling and the thoughts that it doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah, I still believe in God, but what's the point? Maybe the loss of a person or a job or your social standing or the hope of a family or what you perceive your calling to be has left you despondent and despairing. It's this nebulous, vague loss that is difficult to describe to people, but it's like a cancer in my soul if left undetended or unaddressed. We scream, why? Why, God? This makes no sense to me. How does this help you in your kingdom? These are the cries of many of God's best. We heard this throughout the book of Job when he cried to God saying, it would have been better if I were never born. Or when King David says, what good am I to you in the grave? What is the point of my suffering? So many times we do, we need to be sequestered, imprisoned, or shut up so that we can be mature enough to respond freely to faith that we can be mature enough to hear the Holy Spirit so that we don't get bound by the law, but that we're freed. When we're children, we need the law to learn what is right and wrong, but many times God has to remove us and sequester us, even imprisoning us in order to have the maturing process be uninterrupted. Our trials, our disappointments, our hopes, our ways, our thoughts, our dreams, many times are the very things that imprison us, and they limit us and that we only see our solution or or one way out. And unfortunately many of us are willing to die there. And so the loss of a dream is one of the greatest trials of faith because it is so developing it's so enveloping it's so personal and it's frightening to us. So we're going to go we're, we're going to take another break here and we're going to come back and we are going to talk about suffering and how we do that well and how we integrate that. This is Cynthia Hyatt in conversations with Cynthia. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me again as we talk about the concept of change and the dilemma of change and the process of change and the loss that comes with change. And where we left off, we were talking about Job and the amount of change that he had in his life, which produced great loss, great suffering. And we were talking about how we help people and how we help ourselves in the midst of tremendous loss or suffering and one of the things that we saw with Job's friends was they did they did a great job initially but they could only hang in there for seven days and after seven days they started lecturing him they started arguing with him they started condemning him they started judging him they started getting intellectual on him they started resisting and avoiding and doing all these defense mechanisms that we had talked about previously And so not only do we not want to do defense mechanisms in our own life, but we don't want to do those to other people as well. And so one of the things that is so powerful about integrating loss in a healthy manner is that it causes us to be a safe person. It causes us to be people that can be present with others in their own pain. It causes us to have a a, a bigger space inside of us for God as well. Because unfortunately, one of the ways that we, we integrate God is through the loss process that's, one, that's many times one of the ways we find him and find him in the deepest way. So what we talked about was that sadly for us and for God, the best of humans seems to come out of wounding and suffering. Human nature seems to need suffering to fit it for being a blessing to the world. And Acts 14.22 says, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And the life of Jesus exemplifies this. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he questioned God. Is there any other way? He really, really understood that this loss, this change, this stress that was coming toward him was becoming unavoidable. Now, he still had a choice, and he chose to go forward with God, trusting God that in that process, beautiful, glorious, and wondrous things would occur. And we're very thankful to Jesus, obviously, that he made that choice. So I'm sure the brilliant mind of Christ could conceive of many ways to heal, restore, and redeem God's people. And Satan tried to convince him of some other options. But because Jesus was integrated in his faith, he was not deceived. And that's how we talked about the difference between Job's wife and Job. Why did Job's wife respond the way that she did? She was like, you know, why don't you just curl up and die? Why why do you keep holding on to your integrity with God? Why do you keep holding on to your faith? But as Job went through the process, he had an integrated faith. He had a faith that truly believed in who God was. And it saw him through that process. Like we talked about, we want to be wise as serpents. So we want to be willing to lose everything but our faith. And so regardless of what Satan brought into Job's life, he knew his God. Now his wife experienced the same abundant life that God had given Job. But when it came to suffering and loss, She was willing to walk away from her faith and encourage Job to do the same. But Job so aptly says in chapter 13, verse 15, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. So what we see in Galatians 3.2 is again that God may sequester us, may imprison us, until his true vision can be revealed and walked out by us. So he wants the only way out of darkness to be faith in him. And part of the grief and loss process does that. It's, it's similar to that hourglass feeling. So when you've ever watched an hourglass and I I have one that sits on one of the tables in my office and I show it to clients when I talk about the process they're in and I say, you know, here's the hourglass and God tipped it over. And the grains are starting to go through that very, very thin place one grain at a time. And what we want to do is turn it back over. And if we turn it back over, God turns it back again. And so I say to people, just leave it be. Let it be. Let the process occur. Because you will get to the other side, and there will be light, and there will be strength, and there will be safety, and there will be hope, and there will be vision. So when we are a people that have incurred loss, I am able to comfort others because I've been through it. So I know that there is a way, and I know that there is hope. So we're going to take another short break, and we're going to come back and talk about how we actually manage and how we grow through loss and suffering and how we cause this pain to be for gain instead of our pain only being in vain. And so again we'll end with this Job 13:15 where Job says though you slay me yet I will hope in him and I will surely defend my ways to his face. And so it's important that we realize grief and loss process and the power that there is in it. And as we learn to go through whatever that loss is that you're incurring, and as we go into this next segment, I want you to be thinking about the losses that you have right now that you're dealing with and the changes that you are incurring and how we can together work through that process and get to the other side where there is hope and there is life. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And thank you for being here again. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And we are discussing the issue of change, the dilemma of change. And every change, whether it be positive or negative, has loss. And with loss comes pain. And so how do we integrate that pain so that we become healthier, more substantive, more resilient people that are able to be present for others and be able to comfort them in their loss and their pain. So we've been discussing Job, and we were looking also at Galatians chapter 3, verse 2, and it says that before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law and locked up until faith should be revealed. And what we saw in Job's life versus his wife is that his faith got him through that entire process that he went through, even while his friends were mocking him, judging him, condemning him, criticizing him what we see is that Job's faith didn't waver. It didn't mean that he didn't have ugly emotions because pain, pain is never pretty and, and God didn't expect it to be. Jesus, the death of Jesus was one of the most ugliest, heinous things we've ever seen but in that is tremendous, tremendous beauty that comes from that because life came from that. And so it's imperative that as we are going through this loss process, whatever that loss is, and I was asking you to think about what is that loss that I am going through, no matter how small or how big, that, that I am needing to accept that I don't want to, that I want to resist, that I want to avoid, I want to deny. I want to intellectualize. I want to self-medicate. I want to do anything I can to get out of that pain. I want to do anything I can versus going through it. And that's where we ended that last segment with the, the uh, concept of the hourglass. And I say to clients, don't keep turning it back over because God will turn it back you need to go through the process and if you will just go through the process and let those grains pass through that very very skinny tight place one at a time you get to the other side sifted out but a much different person a much better person a much stronger person one with faith one with conviction one with virtue and this is who this is the people that God is wanting to make so the maturing of our faith and the resolute determination to trust solely in him and in his ways must occur for the unique calling of dreams God has ordained for you since the beginning of time so God has a reason that he created us and each of us has a unique part of what we're going to do in this whole entire process in this whole kingdom that God is making and it requires a tremendous amount of trust because it doesn't always happen the way that we it. and in fact I don't think it ever does we read all the stories of the people in the Bible and all the things that they did for God and when they were growing up they never had an idea even Jesus didn't he had to come into his own calling and figure out who he was and so one of these things that we want to look at is that when when we lose vision that's when people perish and and one of the things that uh, I think it's the new American standard said that I like it says without vision people lack restraint and so when we have the loss of a vision the loss of a calling Many times this is where we don't lose our faith in God, but we give up living for him. And we say, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die. It's like, what's the point? What's the point? There's no reason. I have no vision. Well, this is one of the darkest times that we could go through. And so how do I manage that process? It's the loss of identity. It's if I've lost uh, the, the vision of ever being loved by somebody again. I had a, if I had a major breakup, what if I lost the vision of, of ever having a career because I was fired, I made a mistake, or maybe I was um, demoralized, maybe somebody even lied and, and, and maligned me and I lost a job unnecessarily. How do, I, how, how do I integrate that pain when I feel like I've lost myself and my whole entire vision? Well, what we want to say to ourselves first is where is the gain in all of this pain? And I know this, this may sound trite or like a platitude, but truly, the gain that we have is we always know God better if we will press in. Nobody really likes doing it. I, I can honestly say for myself, any pain that I've incurred in the, and the, any of the tragedies that have occurred in my life, pressing into the Lord many times was one of the most difficult things I did because I had to, I had to continue to try to trust him. And it's hard to trust someone when you don't understand what's happening and you think they could change the circumstance for you and they're not. It's hard to trust God when we think that he could fix it and he doesn't seem to be. Or when we've incurred a loss that never had to happen to begin with and we don't understand. And these are the areas that force us to lean not on our own understanding. This is where I learned more than anything God's saying, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And so the gain that that comes is that if I'm willing to press into God through this loss, I know God better, and I know him in a bigger way, and it makes life down here much more manageable because I have a bigger picture. Um, I have I a have, I have bigger vision that I can see, and that's the thing that, that got Job through this whole entire process. So we want to identify, even if it's just, where is the gain in all this pain? I don't care how small that gain may be. So I want to say, what, what ways, thoughts, visions, or dreams or ideas do I need to let go of? And for me, I have a great imagination. I can think of a lot of ways that I think God should do things. And in my life, I have had to really, really surrender that and just say, you know what? It's, it's your way. It's your way, God. It's your world. And if I gave you my life, then I guess I really gave it to you, and it belongs to you, and you are able to do what you want with it. And th- those are difficult, difficult things to come to. It's very difficult to land there. So am I practicing acceptance? Am I willing to embrace that pain? Or am I always wanting to resist it and move away from it? Am I willing to feel my feelings? You see, what we saw with Job is a beautiful picture. He so felt all of his feelings, and he didn't apologize for any of them. Now, he wasn't abusive to anybody, but he certainly felt feelings. And we have to remember that being made in the image of God, he made us to feel feelings. God has very, very, very big feelings. I mean, we saw, you know, we know the story of Noah's Ark. Those are those are big big feelings God has. We also saw what he did with Jesus. Those are really big feelings of passion that he has for his people to go to those lengths. So, I need to be willing to engage in that grief and loss process we talked about. So when my mind is struggling to keep a tight rein on my emotions and telling me not to feel, but I have to understand the tears are my heart's attempt to heal. It's watering dry and arid places in my soul and my spirit. And my feelings are exposing my pain and my identity and telling me who I am. And I must not do them the injustice of denial. So am I practicing spiritual disciplines, such as solitude and silence or journaling, fasting in order to hear from God? You know, and that's a tall order. I I know that I'm saying, and and I really do want you to know I don't come up with these things just simply because I have pulled them out of a book. This is really my life, and I've had to learn how to do these things myself. And so the only reason I teach these things is because I know they work only because I walked them through. It isn't because I just got them in my education and I'm telling you to do something because when you're in tremendous pain and I'm telling you, are you practicing solitude and silence? That's, that can be a tough one to take in. But what I do know is that it works. If I am willing to be quiet with God, if I'm willing to be alone, even if it's just pouring out my heart and telling him how I feel and not mitigating any of those feelings, but being honest with him, so it's important that am I, am I accepting compassion or comfort from others? Because many times when we're in great pain, we just want to be independent. We just want to isolate, which is another defense mechanism. We just want to take care of it on our own. We don't want to bother anybody with it. Or if it's embarrassing that we have as big of a feeling as we do, maybe we, maybe we think our feelings shouldn't be so big. Maybe we think we're being overly dramatic. But what we need to do is we need to accept the feelings as they come because these are part of our identity, and they're part of the way that God made us. So am I practicing gratitude and being careful with my attitude? Being willing to feel my anger in the grief and loss process, but still be very careful to look for things that I might be thankful for, because that is, a tr- that is truly something that helps heal my heart. So am I practicing the art of noticing? So what are the internal and external responses to loss that I'm, that I'm dealing with? What's going on with my body, my stomach, my heart, my muscles, my neck, my back, my head, am I grinding my teeth? And so what is it that's happening that's outside of me? Are people, are, are people pulling toward me or, or withdrawing from me? What is going on with my relationship with God internally and externally? And then lastly, I want to make sure I resist the desire to medicate pain or to fall back into codependency, like not wanting to burden anybody. Or minimizing my pain, or using substances, or, or just working harder and becoming more of a workaholic in order to get away from the pain, or or just moving physically, trying to run away from my pain. So the short version for managing, you know, this grief and loss experience is: I need to journal my pain, my thoughts, my hopes, my fears, and anger, etc. I need to tell my story, and I certainly could admit to you, journaling is not some people like to journal. I don't, I don't like journaling, but I do do it. I practice it because it is very, very fruitful. It's very, very productive. It's one of the things that gets it out of me because one of the things that we know is that we get, if we get it out into the light, it is more manageable. One of the things our mind does, which is always fascinating to me is big things in my head get minimized and little things in my head get maximized. So whenever I have someone in therapy or, or myself, I'm talking to a friend or husband or something and I start talking about something and I might say oh this is really silly I'm making a really big deal about this this is no big deal or I may start talking about something and go this is a really big deal this is bigger than I thought so it's imperative that I get it out through journaling through talking and then again I want to practice some of those those disciplines of my soul I want to be reading things that are uplifting I want to be accepting affection and comfort I want to be feeding my body as best as I can. I want to be sharing in, in God's creation and, and listening to beautiful, inspiring music. And then I want to practice acceptance because one of the sayings that I love to tell myself is acceptance the key to all my problems. I need to just accept that this is, this is what's happening and I need to do whatever I can to get to that place. I need to not be legalistic or judgmental with myself. And then I need, one of the things that can help me is if I identify what type of loss I'm going through. If I remind myself that this is a loss that was not thrust upon me, then I can have more compassion on myself and realize I never asked for this. And that in and of itself is a loss. Maybe it was the change that's inevitable, unavoidable. So I need to grieve the seasons of living. My children are growing up. I'm aging. Technology is changing. I've resisted technology and I like my phone I love my cell phone but I'm not really a big computer person and it frustrates me I liked paper I like to write a beautiful paper and writing things down well many of those days are gone and I need to move on with that so maybe the change is one that I chose And, and it's a good change that I chose but maybe I didn't have any idea what I was really choosing so I need to have that compassion on myself and acceptance of myself And so then I want to, again, identify what what, what am I gaining from these changes and what am I losing? And then we're going to work really hard at making sure that we go through the grief and loss process. So I'm going to resist denial. I'm going to resist bargaining and trying to understand it and think of all the ways it should have happened or could have happened or wouldn't have happened if somebody would have done this or if I would have done that. Then we wouldn't be in the predicament we're in. I'm going to allow myself to be angry because change is very difficult and I'm going to allow myself to be angry and do that in a healthy way and I'm not going to suppress it so that it attacks my body and so I'm going to be willing to journal out anger I'm going to be willing to talk about my anger I'm going to be willing to express my anger physically and I'm going to be willing to be sad and to go through the mourning process because things that are of great value deserve tears they deserve to be cried over we don't want to minimize and then we're going to practice acceptance and forgiveness so thank you for listening to the show and God bless you all this is Cynthia Hyatt with conversations with Cynthia I look forward to talking to you next time
0: we hope this past hour has been encouraging motivating and inspiring to you We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate and spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay anytime at KPXQ1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on 1360 KPXQ.